Hey guys, if the gyms are open where you are or they are opening soon, make sure you head over to the website where you can download your free bikini girl program or um, like a male push-pull leg split. All you need to do, head over to the site, input your name and your best email and you'll be sent that immediately. So, hope you enjoyed today's episode guys. Hey guys and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce to you a guest from across the pond some might say, um, and that is the one and only Dr. Ralph Esposito. How are we doing today, Ralph? Thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Oh, wicked, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. It's been a, a wee while for us to, to get this episode locked in uh, with everything that's going on um, in this current state, but massive, massive thank you from myself and from the listeners on the knowledge bombs that you're going to provide them. But for someone out there listening who perhaps doesn't know much about you, what I'd love for you to do is give yourself... Don't make it brief. Give yourself a big introduction. Let, let us know about who you are, your career to date, and what it is that you exactly do. Sure. So um, on the weekdays, I play doctor, and uh, I work in a private practice uh, in New York City, uh, also in uh, the West Coast as well in California. And essentially, uh, I am a hormone type of geek. Uh, the I work with other uh, another medical doctor on the team, and we we tag team on the longevity game with our with our patients. And uh, if you want to live long and live well, then hormones are going to be a large part of that. Whether it's from weight training to reducing osteoporosis to maximizing muscle health or muscle function, that is going to be a necessity for mostly anybody along with reducing cardiovascular risk, Alzheimer's risk, hormones play a whole large role in, in all of that. So I'm, a, I'm not a conventional medical doctor, I'm a naturopathic physician. So for those who are familiar, you kind of understand that the philosophy is uh, supporting the body's innate ability to heal, utilizing the therapeutic order, which allows us to um, essentially assess somebody uh, holistically and identify the order in which we want to improve them, improve their health. So uh, essentially it's the least invasive to the most invasive. So it starts with nutrition, exercise, sleep. Um, then we start getting into the mind, or actually it's it's mind and body first, nutrition, exercise, sleep. Then we go into supplements, then medications if necessary. And then lastly, uh, surgery, which is usually a last option and not usually what I would love for people to do the second you open up the body you're really opening up pandora's box i believe <laughs> so my focus is utilizing um a holistic and, and you know it's people want to call it functional medicine people want to call it integrative medicine i call it good medicine uh it's utilizing good statistical evidence-based uh evidence uh, guided practice to help people you know achieve their optimal self from their thyroid health their sex hormones their um, muscle optimization, and I've been. Um, I so I, I trained as a naturopathic physician. My undergraduate uh, degree is in nutrition at NYU. I also have my master's in acupuncture training at the Institute of Functional Medicine, and then I did a postdoctorate training at NYU Urology. That's so awesome, dude! And I think just listening to you speak, and anyone that's listening out there can tell that you're an incredibly smart dude. And it is awesome to have the privilege just to chat to you for a little bit here. So um, not only that, I want to just add that on uh, Ralph's Instagram story, um, he just put up talking about uh, that last set stare. And, you know, this podcast, Give It The Beans, what that stems from is giving it absolutely everything you've got 
uh, on every set that you do or in every aspect in every life. So I think that uh, literally I saw that just before you came on the podcast and I was like, yes, <laughs> we have the guy that we need. So the fact that you're all about hormones is exactly, and I'm just going to delve straight into today's episode. Our listeners, a lot of them are bikini athletes, figure athletes within bodybuilding. Now they will diet down to low levels of body fat, uh, low levels of body fat, and have perhaps irregularities, loss of the cycle. But before we get into that, I think there's a lot of females out there perhaps aren't really too educated on how the menstrual cycle works. You know, from the brain all the way down to the actual ovaries themselves. So. I'm not going to say be brief because it's not brief, <laughs> but if you could give us yeah. a, a little bit of a, okay, this is where it starts, sends a signal to there, sends a signal to here, and um, where, where would we go with that? Just if someone out there has not got a lot of knowledge, where would we start? So to truly understand the menstrual cycle, it, it it's very complex. Men are very easy. Men, <laughs> we're pretty consistent throughout the day. Our hormones are easy. We're very <laughs> difficult people. We're very, very difficult people. Um, I usually say in men, our hormones are usually an on-off switch. In women, it's more of a dial, right? You're going to have to really adjust the dial dials to uh, understand a female's hormones. But similarly in men and women, we have an HPG uh, axis, hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. And the major hormones that are at play here are pro-hormones, or what we call them gonadotropins, are FSH and LH. So um, the hypothalamus is one of the main centers of the brain. It has a lot of control in terms of temperature regulation, appetite, and uh, hormonal uh, influence. It's, it's funny how you, when you talk about it, you're like, okay, well, all of those things uh, are related to hormones, your appetite, your temperature mm-hmm. control, and obviously your gonadotropin. So the, the hypothalamus makes a hormone called, called GnRH, which then tells your pituitary a little, little stalk outside of the brain or attached to the brain, which then tells your, your the hypothalamus tells the pituitary release the hormones called FSH and LH. And those are released depending on the time of the cycle in the woman. And those are released going to the ovaries. And then they, they stimulate different cells of the ovaries to make estrogen or progesterone. And it really depends on there's granulosa cells and theca cells. And it depends on the time of the month, which hormones, uh, which gonadotropins, which is going to be higher, FSH or LH, um, and they, they fluctuate. Usually, we see the peak, the highest level of progesterone and estrogen, what we call mid-luteal, which is maybe if you have a 28-day cycle, it's maybe about five to eight days after a woman uh, ovulates. Not when they menstruate, but when they ovulate. Uh, some women have a, uh, a feeling, they can feel it when they ovulate. It's called middle schmerz, which is very uncomfortable, very painful. But essentially, it's they feel their, they feel like a, a, sometimes a cramping or some type of feeling that they're ovulating. That is where we call, that's ovulation. If you have a normal 28-day cycle, that's usually day 14. That is when FSH and LH are usually at their highest because they have to have this super physiologic response of estrogen. So estrogen is also starting to peak at that time, which then signals for the brain to release these hormones. As that happens, FSH and LH go up, which then goes down into the ovaries, um, also in the adrenal glands, but in women, it's mostly the ovaries of, of childbearing age. Will then go in, estrogen will start to peak up and progesterone will also start to peak. And by day, 
18 to 21, you should hit your peak of estrogen and progesterone. This is very, I mean, most women really understand this. They, they know that, and they know usually about seven a week or two before they are expecting their period, they start getting these symptoms of high estrogen, high progesterone, right? They start getting more breast tenderness. Um, they start feeling more crampy. Sometimes they get mood changes, sugar cravings, salt cravings, all of these things come into play usually within that phase. And then that is when the time, at that time, the body is really saying, okay, we ovulated. Now we have to wait, you know, 14 days within this 14 day period, usually within the seven day period, we're expecting some type of sperm to be there. So we need to prepare our uterus to be able to bear a child. So progesterone and estrogen are actually necessary in uh, supporting the lining of the, of the uterus, the endometrial lining. When there is no egg there, when there is no sperm there, no fertilized egg there, then the uh, corpus luteum, which is uh, a part of the, it's a basically a byproduct of the egg, starts making progesterone, right? That's what actually stimulates your progesterone production in women. When that is not there, when it's not fertilized, it says, okay, nothing's been fertilized. I really don't need to have my level up this much. And they start declining. Once they start declining, that is when menstruation occurs. And the first day, this is really important, and most women don't understand this. Um, the first day of menstruation, uh, the first day you start bleeding or having your period is day one of your menstrual cycle. Okay, That is day one. Not when you're done. Not when you ovulate, it's day one of having to put on a tampon or a pad. That is day one. That's really important because that also impacts when you do certain types of testing. And then you have the, um, and then after day one, the follicular phase, you really uh, are kind of back to square one. And that's usually predominated by a lower level of progesterone and estrogen. It's mostly dominated by estrogen. And then the second half is, is uh, predominantly estrogen and progesterone, and usually progesterone levels will get very high in the second period. Estrogen are usually higher in the first part of the period. I, and, and I think cycle. I think that for anyone listening, that is that's probably the most simplest way you could put it because it is so complex. I know that a lot of my female clients they love the follicular phase; they don't like the luteal phase <laughs> just because of the the problems they experience with digestion or their mood and mm-hmm. everything that you just said. Now, when it comes to dieting down for a, a bodybuilding show, um, what a lot of our females will experience, um, I'll, I'll discuss, discuss the first one and then post show. First one is that they will start, it'll start to happen infrequently. So their usual cycle that they have, maybe if it's an average 28 days, right? But it starts to come, okay, they get two cycles in a month and then don't get anything for four weeks, then all of a sudden it's gone. So mm-hmm. if we sort of talk about, that first and then afterwards we could speak about perhaps regaining it but could you tell us kind of what's going on because i think from in the industry across here we're all about okay managing stress as best we can we know that to die down to extremities it's very stressful we get a stress response high levels of cortisol and everyone's like oh cortisol is this really bad thing cortisol is the thing that's stopping it but you are the dude that knows about it so could you tell us what exactly has happened as, we, as we're pulling off this body fat for this photo shoot with the menstrual cycle and this hormone balance you just described? Yeah, it's so what you will see and, and what you see in, in women who lift or who are competing and in men as well, you will see um, 
these people are pushing their body to the limits. They are really, really taxing the uh, what we call the allostatic threshold of the body. To put it into perspective, if you had a just put it compare it to a car. If you had your red line, right when you rev the car, the RPMs, your red line is your threshold, okay. And usually, if you press on the gas slowly and you go from you know zero to one RPM, you start speeding up. You know, you go to two RPMs, three RPMs. The car starts speeding up. It starts kicking up momentum. You're able to handle it. Wow, I'm really driving right here. I'm cruising. We're going good. Then. You start hitting five RPMs, and you're like, "Okay, I'm going really fast right now," and you're not able to change gears, right? You're in your last gear. Then you start getting to the six RPMs, and you start redlining. You don't see any issues with the car from the zero to five or to six. Yeah. Once you hit the redline, that is when you push the body to beyond its limit, beyond its what we call the allostatic uh, threshold. That beyond that point is when you start seeing dysfunction in basic physiology. So, there are many things that can contribute to one's allostatic load. And in in a perfect world, if you're sleeping eight to nine hours, you're getting the proper macronutrients, calorie intake. And I understand people with bodybuilding; they're very, very strict on their macros. If you're achieving all those things perfectly, proper fatty acid intake, uh, enough stress tolerance, right? So if you're doing things to reduce stress, like walking for 45 minutes outside to reduce your stress levels, then you you might be able to push your red line to seven RPMs. But at some point, you will reach that if you push it too far. And what we see in women who are training is that they hit that red line really quickly because they are calorie restricted, they're really strict on their macronutrients, a lot of the times carb restricted, yes. depending on the, uh, the uh, coach, right? I know some coaches are like, oh, I get my people to do, you know, you know they, get, they have enough carbs to get them to this, this program, and, and that's great. I mean, I think everybody's physiology is completely different. I could not function on 200 grams of carbs. It would just, I just, I would blow up. Right. But some people are fine with that. And you need a bright coach to figure that out. But once you get to that level where your stress levels are, your body is all being overstressed, what is going to happen is that you create a stressor on the HPG axis. So what we first started talking about was the communication between your brain and your body. Right. And it's, it's amazing that the, the mind body connection, it is super real. And many conventional doctors would say, oh, it's just, what caused this? Stress. Well, what kind, doc? What kind of stress? Is it the stress of me being super calorically restricted? Is it the stress of me being overworked? Is it the stress of me not getting enough uh, hours of sleep? Is it the stress that I'm also dealing with three kids who are driving me nuts, right? Or dealing with work. All of these things contribute our stressors. And when that happens, the brain's um, uh, threshold and their receptors become completely distorted. And they don't respond as well. And what happens is that when you're in a stressed state, what is the one thing that you don't need to do is reproduce. Yeah. You do not need to reproduce. And the body will shut down or completely change the, the mechanisms that is natural for itself to prepare itself for uh, childbearing. And what happens is that you now have 
fluctuations in your hormones. Sometimes you get periods longer, not at all, double the month. And that's exactly what happens is because you have not prepared the other aspects to uh, tolerate the expected stressors that are going to come your way. So if we were to, to discuss, you know, you mentioned that, say, FSHLH produced from hypothalamus, telepituitary, uh, sorry, gonadotrophin releasing hormone to the pituitary, pituitary FSHLH. Is, does it start, when, when we get this sort of dysfunction, does it start right at the hypothalamus and it says, right, you know what, we're not going to release any gonadotrophin, uh, I can't even say the, say the bloody word. Gonadotrophin releasing hormone. There we go. It's just, it's just a tongue word. Does, does it say, right, we're not producing this because we're seeing such a like, high allostatic load or does it still do that but then we don't go from the pituitary down, downward? It depends on what actually is going to be the issue. And what we have seen is that cortisol levels, when super high, can desensitize some of these receptors in the pituitary and in the hypothalamus. I treat the two together because I can't really determine which one it is. If you do a blood test, getting your GnRH levels are going to be completely useless because they change every five to 10 minutes. Yeah. FSH and LH are a little bit more stable, so I just treat them as one. Um, but essentially, yes, the receptors, we believe, are in the hypothalamus. Uh, but there is some uh, indication that the pituitary also can be impacted, which is why um, which is why we see that sometimes when you are having issues with your HPA, uh, G-axis, your, your you know, uh, LH and FSH, which are responsible for estrogen and progesterone, you can also see issues in cortisol levels. You see issues in growth hormone. Those are other hormones that are uh, connected to the what we call the HPA, HPG axis. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. And thyroid hormone, completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. And that's a whole different issue. I'm sure we could do a whole episode on that, but that would that would that would be going off, off on a tangent. Now, let's take the hypothetical example: uh, a female competitor has dieted down for a show. She's done well in that time frame. She's perhaps lost the cycle, and afterwards she wants to get healthy. She wants to, you know. I, I think there's a, there's often a, a really big worry with female competitors that they they don't feel normal. They want to get that back, and I can fully understand, but. As a coach, uh, I often stress and say to them, right, that we need to add levels of body fat to try and re- you know regain hormone signaling mm-hmm. and, and reduce stress. But from a physiological standpoint, I think everything you've said would explain it, but could you could you add to that and say, right, well, what is there, is there anything that we're, we're, we should be focusing on? What are we perhaps missing to try and regain that cycle? Because I've had some female clients post-show, it's taken six weeks, it's taken 12 and the most recent which uh, was crazy it took 51 weeks to get the first cycle back she's now 51 t- weeks 51 weeks but that was because the year before she didn't reach she lost it she didn't regain it she got two in a row and then she prepped again so mm-hmm. she hadn't regained it hence why effectively it was almost two years without one she's now had two so we're waiting on the third for it to be fully restored but I thought it'd be a great opportunity for you to think, right, what do we need to do to try and restore this sort of cycle from hypothalamus, pituitary, ovaries, and back again? Yeah. You cannot talk about one system without considering the others. So in order to really address the HPG, I'm going to just kind of tell you uh, 
how I'm going to refer to these terms so I don't have to keep on having a mouthful. (laughs) It's HPG, which is hypothalamic pituitary gonadal, which is your ovaries in women. Hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, HPA, which is your adrenal gland, which makes cortisol DHEA. Uh, Also aldosterone and other hormones. And then there's the HPT, hypothalamic pituitary thyroid. So I'm going to be referring to these all collectively, HPT, HPG, HPA, or HPAGT, all of them, right? What I have found is that many clinicians, physicians, coaches are focused on correcting the ovaries. You have to target a thyroid first. Your thyroid hormone, and I assume you're talking, this is right after a show, super calorically restricted, like, like, I don't know, maybe what would you say, 11, uh, 10, uh, 1,000 calories, 1,200 calories, less? Oh, some females need to go as low as 800, 850. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're not, (laughs) you're basically not eating. You're fasted. Yeah. Especially in a woman who probably has a tremendous amount of muscle mass, training, and also dehydrated. If you look at a uh, a a uh, a uh, competitor, one to four days after a show, I guarantee you, if you did labs on them, their TSH would be through the roof or high, right? And my my cutoff for high is two, right? So I like to see a TSH less than two to two point five. Their TSH would be high, and their reverse T three would also be high. And their free T3 would probably be low. What is that telling you? That's telling you that you're so calorically restricted that the body is saying, we don't need thyroid hormone. We need to slow down our metabolism. And in order to correct that, it takes time to get the thyroid running again. And this is where I get concerned with some people going into a show unprepared for the stressors that they're, they're about to experience. And the only way... So I don't want to say the only way. The most important hormone to really address is a thyroid because thyroid hormone, T3 hormone, is responsible for the second messenger system of the hormones which are binding to your receptors to actually progress and send that signal in the cell to the nucleus, okay? It's, It's like pressing on the gas and there no, being no signal to the engine to rev up, yeah. right? right. The thyroid hormone is necessary to get that message across. So you can give, I mean, the, the easiest way to do it is just to give them exogenous hormones, right? like progesterone and estrogen, but you're, now you're really digging a deeper hole because you're now mucking with, uh, you're getting physiologic levels of a hormone and not allowing the body to recover, and then you can actually prolong recovery of the menstrual cycle. So the number one thing to do is, a, is focus on their thyroid health, the thyroid hormone. And this is not just like, okay, continue eating normally, but you have to supplement the thyroid with certain uh, adaptogens or certain nutrients in order to allow it to replenish itself because it's been under an immense amount of stress. And we see this in men as well, is that they're under a lot of stress, their testosterone levels will drop because they can't make anymore because their body's not telling them to make it. Yeah. So. The, my my number one is focus on the thyroid. Then you would have to address the ovaries, and there's multiple different ways of addressing ovary uh, ovarian function or improving it. 
I like seed cycling. I know, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, seed cycling is complete BS. What, what are seeds going to do for you? We actually have found that these foods um, in animal studies can actually impact LH and FSH levels at uh, higher doses. Now, I'm not training or coaching uh, rats or mice. I'm training people. But from decades of anecdotal evidence, right, with multiple different uh, professions, we know that seed cycling is very helpful in helping re-regulate the female hormone system. But it's very subtle and soft. So it's, it's pretty benign, but it does take time to work. It takes about three to six months before you start seeing an impact because it takes a monthly effect. For, for anyone listening that just went, whoa, what's seed cycling? Could you give a brief brief description of what that is? Yeah, so seed cycling is when you use different types of seeds during the uh, luteal phase and follicular phase. So within the first, first 14 days of your cycle, you want to have certain foods that mimic uh, estrogen, which are going to be flax seed and pumpkin seeds, and you grind them up, right? So you, you don't want to have the... Um, the uh, whole seed, unless you're going to chew it completely, but flax seeds are hard to do. I actually bypass this whole seed aspect, and I just tell people if you can get flax oil and you can get pumpkin seed oil, that's probably more potent because the oils hold a lot of the lignans, which are going to be helpful, and that that's what we're aiming for, right? Yeah. yeah. And then the second cycle is, or the, the second part of the cycle is going to be uh, sesame seeds and um, uh, sunflower seeds. So I don't like sunflower seed oil. Um, I don't like sesame seed oil at high doses. But if you do a teaspoon, uh, usually every day, that's sufficient amount because uh, vegetable oils are highly um, prone to uh, rancidity, right? They become pro-oxidants at very high levels, usually found in like canola oil and, um, and um, uh, like corn oil. But if you use these oils at very low levels, teaspoons levels, that actually has uh, more of a profound impact in re-regulating the HPG axis. Yeah, and for for many for many months, many years actually, I've always been under the um, impression that you know it's so important post chew to 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 get fat intake levels up, and I've often been told that it's poorly misunderstood. But you said a statement right at the start there that you mentioned about the ligands within the oils are what help the signaling. And I think you just answered something that I've had a little bit of a lack of clarity on for for years. And specifically, certain oils within different phases. And mate, that, that's something that I will take from this episode for, for the rest of my days. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm just, I wanted to point out because I know there's some females out there who are coaches who are listening and, and, that, amongst everything else, is just a, a huge gold nugget in itself. Someone doesn't know what a ligand is, and I don't mean to be pedantic, but it, if you could just kind of elaborate on that, I think that's a really good point. Sure. It's a compound found in mostly in the oils. Uh, it's usually has to be hard-pressed, and it has different receptor sensitivity. It has different sensitivity towards uh, estrogen and progesterone-like receptors. So it's not a actual hormone, uh, same way, you know, women will take wild yam and say, oh, this is supposed to mimic progesterone. It does not. It, it does not mimic progesterone. But these lignans are uh, steroid-like compounds found in plants 
which can bind to the receptors very weakly, similar to a phytoestrogen or an isoflavone. Um, and they can bind to the receptors and help improve the response there. We don't know exactly how it works, uh, but we do know that uh, it can improve the sensitivity of the receptors and allow whatever the body is going to make on its own to, to work a little bit better. It's kind of like a, a jumpstart to get the body moving. But you still need to address the other things, right? Don't think just like having sesame seeds and flax seeds is really going to solve the problem. That That's not the case. Um, I usually combine it with evening primrose oil, which is an omega-6 oil, and high doses of fish oil. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Now, for someone out there thinking, right, okay, well, I can incorporate that into my diet, but they're unsure about the thyroid. They're like, how do you support that now? There is, of course, supplementation out there um, that, as coaches, we might recommend. But is there anything that someone, if you're thinking, right, maybe maybe they've went and got blood work done, like you said, four days after whenever, and you're thinking, right, the thyroid is the thing that they need to address first. But there's many competitors out there. Maybe they've competed on, they've done their own coaching, and they're thinking, I don't know much, what about what what much really about my thyroid. How would I support it? Is that in the sense of dietary support, supplement support, or or both? Uh, the easiest way to go about it is supplement support. So uh, you have to provide the thyroid with the right nutrients that it that it needs to make thyroid hormone. It's pretty straightforward if you just look at the physiology. It requires zinc, selenium, and iodine, right? Thyroid hormone T4 is because it has four iodine uh, four iodines on it, right? Then you have T3, which has three. Reverse T3 and, and, and actual T3 just depends on where that iodine is. So, but I don't tell people go ahead and supplement with iodine because if you do a, too high of a dose, it can actually push the thyroid into a hyperthyroid state. And, you, and if you don't understand the physiology of it, don't muck around with it because you're going to get somebody sick. Yeah. Um, so the simplest ways is to make sure you provide the body with enough of these nutrients. And I like to do it through food. So... Uh, iodine can be found in a lot of seafood, uh, shrimp, shellfish, seaweed is great. Uh, there's one herb that I like to use called fucus, which is a type of seaweed, um, which is uh, very helpful in improving thyroid function. And then obviously selenium and zinc are going to be necessary. You also have to make sure that you're using um, uh, the, the proper uh, adaptogens. And one that can be very helpful is ashwagandha. Ashwagandha helps with conversion of T4 to T3. So anybody who's on Synthroid or on any type of thyroid medication, it's pretty much a no-brainer. Like they have to be on ashwagandha. The one that I like is called KSM-66. It's just a type of yeah. ashwagandha. Um, Latin is withania somnifera. So make sure you're getting that exact form. Uh, and that's pretty much going to be what you need to do for somebody the issue here, and by no means am I saying if you are a coach, you know, this should be part of your protocol. What I'm saying is, is you need to look at the person individually. Yeah. You need to address where they are because the issue might not be a selenium and zinc deficiency. It might be that maybe they're not eating well enough or there's too much inflammation going on. Maybe they have a bacterial overgrowth or chronic inflammation going on in their body that the cell is experiencing a cellular uh, inflammatory response, right? So when you yeah. see people who have a mildly elevated, you know, CRP or homocysteine or ESR, I tell them, yeah, I can give you stuff to reduce your homocysteine. I can give you stuff to reduce your CRP, but 
But what I really want to do is why is it elevated? And I need to address the underlying inflammatory response. And that is how you, that's how you heal. That, and that's the goal. Yeah. And I think from what, from everything that you were saying there, like from a coaching perspective, I just refer out. If, if I didn't know, and, and that client I was, uh, I was telling you about, we done the Dutch test and we sent it to Carrie and we got, um, got some feedback from her. Um, we had planned to do bloods just before lockdown happened. Lockdown happened. And um, with, I, I'm still calling it lockdown until the gym's open, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's still lockdown for me. Um, and uh, in that That's time okay. frame, the, the cycles came back. But um, it, it really, everything, you know, it really is so intricate, the, the delicate balance between the cycle and, and so many systems in itself that I suppose as coaches, we shouldn't, or, I shouldn't, and the coaches are listening, shouldn't say, right, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. It's a case of, well, what you just said, actually, it's quite, quite mind-blowing how everything can throw off. But one thing that I think, in addition to all that can throw off, is the fact that the majority of females are using contraception, and for the most part, a lot of them are progesterone-based, right? And that was something that you said comes from the corpus luteum, and I'll often, like my female clients will say, when they're in that sort of, um, second phase of their cycle they feel mm-hmm. the sluggish the cravings they feel weak now from a physique perspective it's not kind of quote-unquote optimal to always have higher levels of progesterone if we're wanting to you know get get really jacked i suppose we, we could say right. but right. what what i was wanting to ask you and this was really a question for myself was that a lot of the, my females that are whether they're in a gaining phase or a dieting phase whatever it's called they'll use the, a progesterone-based um, contraceptive, but they'll still experience the same sort of mood cravings and whatnot in what would usually be their luteal phase. However, I'm like, can we really call it that because we're constantly taking progesterone? So what I wanted to ask you is, you know, is that kind of quote-unquote normal? And if it is, I'm just confused at why it is because... I'm thinking, right, well, you know, this, we're constantly putting in progesterone, so it must be then telling hypothalamus, don't produce GNR, GNR, don't go to the pituitary. So I'm confused, and I just wondered if you could shed a little bit of light. So is the question, what is the progesterone doing to the women, or why are they using that in the first place? I guess we could, we could start with that, because that will give the listeners more of an indication of why they're taking progesterone. Yeah, so what essentially is happening is they're obviously trying to, uh, and this is during their uh, during their training, or are you talking about more post-training? So, because it depends on if they're trying to recover or if they're trying to just hold off. So this example was from uh, from a, a few female competitors who are in a, a in a gaining phase, a bulking phase, you could call it. They've they've mm-hmm. not competed anytime soon. They've had restoration of the cycle. Or they've had their cycle for a long time. So I guess I should have said I should have said that at the very start. Um, but yeah. it was more so I was just noticing trends that all these females, you know, they're like, oh, this is usually when I would be ovulating, and I'm like, right, you're on the pill, but you're not ovulating, but you still you're gaining a kilo, then you lose it three days later, and you've done that every single month for the past X amount of months, and your yeah. cravings are up. So yeah, it was just kind of like. Well, let's talk about why they've taken the progesterone in the first place and then why they might still see those usual signs of fluctuations of the hormones, if that makes sense. Well, one of the things when you see fluctuations in 
body composition or body weight is because progesterone can cause retention of water, yeah. right? And that that's that's pretty well known to most women who have a normal menstrual cycles. When you go and you're entering that last phase of your cycle or the last few days of your cycle, you start retaining some water. But progesterone is also um, it allows it's a it puts the body more in an anabolic state. Now, by no means is it like testosterone or or growth hormone, which is anabolic. The progesterone is uh, anabolic in that it allows it potentiates the effects of insulin, right? So what can happen is that when you potentiate the effects of of insulin, then you can, you are changing the fuel partitioning and how your body will utilize fat as energy. So the, the pill is trying to, it's trying to mimic exactly what your body is supposed to be doing during a certain period of time. Um, and when you start doing that, it, Yes, it will tell your brain to stop making things, but your body is not just dependent on the pill, right? It, the pill is trying to hide or band-aid whatever is supposed to be going on at that level during different times of the month because your body has its known normal rhythm, the receptors are going to change sensitivity, right? And what you see is that when they're on the progesterone or on the birth control, you're going to see these fluctuations because during that time, the body should be seeing an X amount of progesterone, which whichever its, its threshold is going to be. Now you're adding more to it. And it's not just progesterone only, but progesterone is combined or has impacts with, with estrogen. So progesterone and estrogen uh, need to communicate uh, synergistically with each other. And if you're getting progesterone only or progesterone and, and estrogen and the birth control pill, you are, or you are literally changing the rules to the to the book, and there's no saying what one woman will respond to or another. Some women, they get completely, you know, re- resolution of their symptoms. They're um, they have no issues with their period. They don't experience any type of uh, issues with body composition, and that's just because they are more resilient. Then there are women who are, are a lot more sensitive. They have more sensitivity at their androgen receptors, their progesterone receptors, their estrogen receptors, and that's why they have these different fluctuations. There's no one answer for one woman. What I would say is once they do stop that, it creates a haywire of an effect, and that's and once women are on the contraceptive during their training, and I understand why they may want to be or why they are, uh, but getting off of that is going to be a lot more difficult because you are not only then resuming a normal life, but you are now uh, nixing a birth control pill, which can take anywhere from, you know, most, some women recover within a month or two. Some women can take up to eight months. So there's no saying why, or uh, there's no rhyme or reason to certain women's cycles. Um, that's why I think getting labs on women during certain periods of their cycle, um, will allow you to understand what's going on if they're off the contraceptive. If they're on the contraceptive, I could tell you what their labs are gonna look like. The progesterone and estrogen are gonna be um, low, assuming they're getting um, a synthetic progesterone, right? And a synthetic estrogen, which is usually in most birth control pills or oral contraceptives. So it's it's very tricky. Um, and this is why I think that you need to have a whole team, not just yeah. a coach and not just, you know, an expert. Like if you need me, if you said, Ralph, I want to lose and get down to 10% body fat, I am not the person. 
that's going to get you to 10% body fat. You need somebody who does this repeatedly and has the bandwidth to work with you on a daily or weekly basis. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. One thing I wanted to, to ask you and something that really kind of um, hit home there was you mentioned that progesterone is quite anabolic in itself and from a partition perspective um, in regards to helps you utilize, uh, get more energy from fats. What I was often told was that when we were more progesterone dominant, our females were in that luteal phase, that their ability mm-hmm. to handle carbohydrates wasn't quite as well. But with what you just said there about insulin being sort of, you could say, improved improved signaling, well, insulin helps carbs get into the cells. So is my was my th- thought process wrong or is, is it, is, you know, is it the case, is that the case? I would no. I think the pro. I think your thought process is probably influenced by what you're seeing clinically or what you're seeing um, from your experience. But during the uh, the the phase where estrogen, uh, where progesterone levels are higher, it's probably going to impact the way they utilize their fuels, right? So they're more anabolic, um, and it probably allows them to be more tolerant or insulin sensitive. And it allow it changes the way that the macronutrients are going to be utilized. So during these phases, I would say women can probably tolerate um, more high intensity type of training. Yeah, absolutely. Just just really interesting. Man. I love it. Now, if we were to, I know that we are um, watching the time, but if we were to talk about just female contraception um, in general, um, whether they are a, a female bodybuilder or um, or not, you know, is there any sort of potential dangers? in taking contraception for a long time, um, for example, whether it's progesterone or, or whatever, um, on this signaling pathway, um, what's your thoughts? This is a very controversial question, and I know why you asked it. Um, it depends on how old the woman is. If we're looking at women who are childbearing age, the risk of, um, which is typically... Uh, women are more aware of is blood clots and clotting, which is something not to be ignored. In terms of a long-term aspect, um, yes, if you are going to completely suppress your ovaries or HPG access for months or years, it would be naive to believe that just getting off of it, you're going to get back to normal. Now, some women do, and and bless them, and, and they're very, very lucky. But that is not always the case. So I think one of the, the most common side effects that I would see or one of the biggest concerns that I have with women on the on birth control is what it's doing to their, their weight. So some women will gain weight while on uh, birth control. It makes it harder for them to um, be able to lose body fat. And then when they stop, their, their whole system is completely out of whack and it makes it hard for them to uh, maintain or build more muscle mass. So... Now, if you get into older women, uh, you know, the 40s or the 50s, then it starts becoming a question of hormonal replacement therapy and what are the risks of that in terms of cancer prevention um, or, or risk. I think a lot of the data is now suggesting that progesterone and estrogen do not increase the risk of certain types of cancers. You'll have people who will completely argue till they're blue in the face, and they often reference the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI which was a very flawed study, but that's usually in older women. And I suspect a lot of your listeners are, are younger. Yeah. So I would say if you're concerned about the long-term side effects of birth control, uh, probably it, it, the best way to go about it is 
try to get things under control naturally. And if really, if you really are experiencing a lot of side effects from the birth control, sometimes IUDs are much more effective and have a less of an impact on hormonal levels, whether it's progesterone coated or copper coated, that also has risks as well. This is where it comes into personalized medicine and understanding what the risks are for this person, uh, what their history is, how do they have a history of weight gain, obesity, insulin resistance, um, me, my body type, I'm more of a type that it's I'm easier to gain uh, mass, but also easier to gain body fat. So you need to make sure that you are keeping insulin levels in check, tolerate that they're, they're able to tolerate them and they're not hyperinsulinemic all of the time, because that is probably one of the uh, complications that occur with women on birth control. That's because you're, you're, you're mismatching the hormonal balance. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I, I, I love how thorough. And you go into explanations for these questions, but what I would say is that the passion that you've got when you speak about this, mate, is unbelievable. I sorry, I use <laughs> I use the term mate. It's a Scottish term for the word friend, right? No, and, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I remember when they I went, use that in in Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. I have a bunch of buddies down there. Yeah. yeah, but but really, you could just tell how much what you do is you live and breathe it, and I just want to say a massive appreciation for for all the golden nuggets that the listeners will get from everything you've said. <laughs> but one thing I like to ask listeners, um, and I guess that this is more of an educational podcast and this will be more to do with life, is you know, with everything that's going on, um, what would you say is your biggest lesson that you've learned in life to date? And from that, is there any, any advice you'd give to any of the listeners out there? Yeah, um... Given this, the recent events of everything going on, I think we need to identify what our boundaries are. Um, we live in a society that does not allow boundaries, and everybody's involved in everybody else's life, right, or everybody else's business, and we want to be all involved. And now that we're all home and we're living with our partners and our families, um, if you do not take care of yourself, there's very little progress that's going to be made, whether it's with your personal life, your health, your relationships. If you do not take care of yourself and set the boundary of, I hear you, I see you, but I'm not tolerating this right now, that allows you to progress and move forward. Whereas other people are, they, they don't have a boundary everybody is always mixed and mingled within their life and they're trying to please everybody. And that leads to constant uh, attempts to satisfy other people's expectations. And even when it comes to your personal hormonal health, your body composition goals, right? Whatever it is, you have to do it for yourself because if you don't, then nothing else will be able to be accomplished. You know, most, most couples will say, or people who are in relationships will say, well, I do it for my kids. I got to do it for my kids first. Your kids are going to rely on you being healthy. So if you don't rely on your, if you don't support yourself being healthy, healthy, your partner and your kids are going to be, uh, are going to suffer and be deprived even more. So set the boundaries, make sure that people understand, you know, where the wall is. If they knock on the door, you don't have to answer. Um, but I mean, everything has an exception, but that's how I've, that, that's what 
quarantine or lockdown has really done done for me. Dude, that that was an awesome answer. I, like that, that <laughs> answer there just epitomizes who you are as a dude. And and I thought that I've never had an answer like that on on this. This will be episode number fifty four. Um, that was that was brilliant. Now, if someone's out there listening thinks exactly the same as I'm thinking, and they want to get in touch with you, they want to know a bit more, and maybe they just want to like an Instagram post. How could they? How could they get in contact with you? Yeah, um, the best way is through Instagram is at Dr. Ralph Esposito. Um, the same would be um, my website, drralphesposito.com. You can subscribe and anything new that comes out will be through there. A lot of my work right now is on just educating and making sure people understand that, you know, the nuances of hormonal health and male health and women's health, thyroid health, all of the above. So you can find me at any one of those locations. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I'm sure you could have spoke for, you know, we've been here almost 50 minutes. You could have spoke for 50 hours on a lot, on really a lot of this stuff. But I think what you put across, um, will certainly be um, of high value, super high value for the listeners. So I guess for myself, a, a massive thank you um, for, for everything. My pleasure. Um, and I guess I speak for both of us and I say, whatever you are in the world, whatever you do, give it the beans.